I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste. Questions, everything live. Yeah. A podcast with myself, comedian and writer Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka the Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests, along with a very special live studio audience, will be hosting the questions that need to be asked. And we're talking everything from. Oh, who's your favourite Ghostbuster? Who is your favourite Ghostbuster? Man in the front row. Who's your favourite Ghostbuster? Nice. Anyone can beat Egon? Winston? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> well, Winston was my favourite. That's fucked up. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, questions like the supernatural to the natural to the physical to the metaphysical. And uh, with that in mind, on today's special live show, we have not one, but two very special guests. Our first guest is a stand-up comedian, actor and writer. She's one of the UK's most respected stand-up comedians with a series of stunning shows at Edinburgh that have earned her rave reviews. She's appeared on TV shows like Mock the Week, Drunk Histories, People Just Do Nothing, 8 Out of 10 Cats, Russell Howard Stand-Up Central and Breaking the News. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the wonderful Tiff Stevenson! Hi Tiff. Hi, I came through the door earlier because I heard applause and I'm such a needy comic. I went, that's for me. So you're needy. I've brought all these people here and I'm not even doing jokes. So I'm much needy. Are you well, Tiff? I'm good. Tiff has come all the way from LA to hang out and uh, uh, discuss some questions. Doing very well for herself, as you can tell. Uh, d- directly, not directly, but... Oh. I'm doing well. I mean, you, wore, you dressed up for it. I knew I was going to be online and I still dress like this, so... <laughs> I, this boiler suit is getting tighter and tighter just as I'm breathing out. So see it. Couldn't afford a boiler suit myself, so still doing well. That's good. That's good. <laughs> are, they, are, are boiler suits expensive? No. Oh, okay. Well, because they're, they're boiler suits. I see. Well, cool. That's the question covered there. Okay. So, <laughs> but yeah, round of applause for Tiff Stevenson. But that is not all, folks. Excuse the cliche. Tiff is also joined on today's show by one of the UK's most exciting and dexterous voices. He's a spoken word artist whose rise to prominence has seen him release work across a range of mediums. His first book of poetry, Introducing, was released to critical acclaim and he is also a regular speaker for TED Talks and an advisor for the BBC Diversity Trust. In music, he is featured on Labyrinth, Emily Sande, Paolo Nettini and Naughty Boy Records collaborated with Idris Elba and supported Nas, Margaret Saver and Common on Tour. So on the voice of the generation, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome George the Poet. What's happening, George? I'm good, man. How are we doing? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I'm feeling very underdressed. I won't lie to you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I chose a look and I'm sticking with it. Uh, how are you? Great. 
I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You have a good trip. You, you spend a lot of time down south. No, no, no. no this is it's it's it's. it's, it's Overly unsettling. It shouldn't be as unsettling. It, it shouldn't be, but <laughs> you know, I think you've worked with enough rappers to know levels. So, <laughs> but it's nice round here. Like you know, it's not too far from a police station, right? <laughs> but we're gonna protect you, George. You're gonna be fine. That was not reassuring. Interesting so. start. Mix interesting start, right? It's it's the normal etiquette. Yeah, just be careful around here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be absolutely fine. But yeah, yeah, please do give a round of applause to our guests. Thank you. Thank you. It's worth pointing out we don't normally sit this close together when we record. Yeah, yeah. We, this, is, uh, this is very close for comfort. That's you fine. guys all right on that sofa together? Yeah, I, 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 might lean, I, might, I might lean back, but it's just, this is so tight. So I'm just... <laughs> I'm just, I just, just no, be comfortable. We had a good formation going on. There. Yeah, it's a great yeah, formation, yeah. you know. And me and Howard are equally awkward and lack the emotional intelligence to speak. So well, we're gonna. I've taken a position with my legs, so I don't touch yours. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. And keep... it's nothing to do with your legs. It's my own problems. No, no, it's my. I mean, I've got problems with my legs. They're overly long. It's very tough to sit in cars or on chairs. So, hence me standing up for a living. But yeah, so. but I'm five foot ten, so I, I resent. Taller people complaining about tall people problems. Do you, uh, you resent it, George? Do you, so you can fit in your car just fine then? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I don't have a car, George. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's perspective. <laughs> it's like, and what's 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 two inches? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone got that question on their paper? Uh, or, uh... I have some thoughts, but yeah, yeah. let's move on quickly. That's my question gone. Um, <laughs> do you know what? It's probably time for a question. Which, which, which always begins with a guest. Yeah, so we, uh, as our esteemed guests, uh, thank you so much for coming to the live uh, podcast. So, of course, we want to open the floor to you guys to ask a question. Any question. Okay. And, and we should preface it with, it won't all be fun. Well, <laughs> I like that you had to preface my question because I went, I think it might be a bit heavy because I've been in Los Angeles uh, where there's a certain type of woman that talks like her voice is running out of batteries. <laughs> it's a really fun place. Um, while I was in LA, I really, I mean, uh, since, since the trip before, it's been a year since I've been and I noticed that, so there's preamble to my question, but it will make sense. Um, that I noticed that the homelessness had increased dramatically. So downtown LA, uh, there's a place that they call Skid Row. And what struck me was this on one side of Skid Row, there's like homeless people, veterans, and um, some tents that have popped up. People who are clearly mentally ill because there's no support uh, for, for mental disabilities in America. So left-hand side of the road, homeless people. On the right-hand side was building upon building upon building of self-storage units. Mm. And it just struck me that, like, on the left, there were actual humans that couldn't have shelter, and on the right was people's shit that they couldn't like, fit in their house. And that got to have a roof on it. And I do notice homelessness here, but I noticed it there to a level. Maybe it was more, or maybe I saw it more because I wasn't from there. And so I sort of began to question myself as to why I don't pay more attention in the UK. Like I maybe stop, give some money, but I think there's a level of cognitive dissonance which you have to have to separate yourself from what's happening and literally carry on with your life because you can't stop for everyone. And it sort of got me thinking, I, I wonder why I feel it less or notice it less in the UK than I do in America. And so here's my question. Do we have 
less empathy for people who are like us. Is there something about seeing a homeless person where you're from that makes you go, well, I sorted my shit out, why can't they? Mm. If they're like you, do you think, I got it together, I got a job, I did this, I got over that, so therefore, why can't they do it? So do we, it's quite a big philosophical question, but do, we, do you think we have less empathy for people who are like us? Hmm. Dane. Does me, me? Well, George, I think George is itching George. to answer first, yeah, so George. please, of course. Does it depend on the audience? Like, the person to whom you're presenting this uh, argument, like, if, if you're presenting it to yourself, you're a lot less sentimental about who you are. But when you have to stand on a stage, if you've got to be on question time, for example, and the people that matter to you or the experience that, that you relate to is being attacked, are you likely to have a more defensive stance before that kind of audience? Yeah, so you mean when, it's, when, when you feel you can relate to it, you say, I live in this world, I live this, therefore I feel more empathy for anyone else that who is. When, like, for example, if the question about homelessness mm. and empathy was framed in an international context and someone, in, someone implied that homelessness in London or in England where you live was less serious than homelessness in another part of the world, would you then be more likely to defend it and be like, well, actually, I know I have more proximity to homelessness in London and yeah. it looks pretty rough. London's cold. Yeah. Londoners are very cold people. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you had to defend it before an audience, would you be a bit more sympathetic? I think so. I think, I think I, I uh, generally as a person, tr not feel more empathy towards women. I realise I'm surrounded by men. But like, I have a female experience. So sometimes I kind of, because women are like me, I kind of think that I know or understand. But this was something that kind of shook that belief because I do see the homelessness here and I've not felt the need to comment or talk about it. I'll try and do what I can. I'll give some money. And I know people kind of go, that's pointless. You're not actually helping. But I figure like if I'm, if I'm a step between someone doing something really awful to get that money, mm. then that is help. Mm. But... Um, but but I don't know why it, it kind of it it landed with me more. It hurt me more. Wait, Maybe Jaws. it's realizing, acknowledging my own um, what's the word I'm looking for? Privilege that I'm traveling to the other side of the world mm -hmm. and getting to have this great experience in another country, and that's not the experience for everyone there. Whereas in London, it's my day to day life. It's every day I go out, and so it's easy to become desensitized. Maybe um, yeah, so. desensitized is probably yeah, yeah. the wait Jaws. You know, like I'm off to LA. It's quite exciting, right? Yeah. That wasn't you weren't thinking about homeless people when you're on that flight, you know. It wasn't in your mind to think about the problems that LA faces, no. Yeah. So it's it, it yeah. jars in a totally different way. You see it. So because I've experienced that in so many different walks of life before different audiences for different reasons. So when I first went to um, when I first left the estate I grew up on, I went to university. That was Cambridge, so it was a world away from what I was familiar with. But at that point in my life, 18 years old. I was sick of the estate. I was, I, I just hated everything about it. And it, was, it wasn't until about a year into my time at Cambridge when I started releasing poetry online where I was really letting off steam and, and I, I, I wasn't mincing my words. I, wasn't, I didn't have a lot of empathy in what I was saying. People in Cambridge started coming up to me and saying, you know, that what you're saying sounds really harsh. It could be manipulated for you know, to political ends that you probably wouldn't be happy about. 
that that's when I started reflecting and thinking, you know what? Those I have a responsibility to what I'm close to, you yeah. know, and I want to defend it. But then when I go back to Uganda, I see orphans like on the street coming up to me at the traffic lights, and I spend long times of long periods of time in Uganda, like five weeks. And by the third week, I don't feel those orphans' presence anymore. Uh, I can just uh, shut them out. Yeah. So I tell you, yes, it's the. I think in marketing there's this thing that's called Moore's Law, where it's like if you hear the same sound at like the same pitch, the same volume, it begins. You, you can stop. You stop hearing it after a while. And I think it's a very similar thing. When you have the same kind of image or the same aesthetic, or you're for a long enough period, you can become very desensitized to it. And I would say, Tiffany, I, at one point, like I've had some very uh, conservative views where the homeless are concerned, and they've come. Well, one's a bit more, I guess, facetious and a bit more stupid. The other one, again, I guess, would be kind of rooted in. Like almost as you said, like the whole kind of, I guess, uh, bootstraps narrative where you're kind of like, well, I've been able to, you know, I've come from very humble beginnings. I've been able to work myself out of it. And why can't someone do the same thing? And I would take that even further, being that I'm the son of immigrants, where I'd be like, you know, my parents came here with nothing. They own their house. Like you have generations of family here. So I would see homeless people and be like, Psh, no reason for that. You know, like I, my, my dad couldn't even get a job because he's a black guy. Like the world is your oyster. How have you fucked it up? That used to be my mentality when not realizing obviously homelessness is not just a question of, you know, just poverty alone. There are a number of other circumstances that end up, you know, precipitating this, precipitating this socially created species. I mean, I tried it. Uh, which sounds like the most pretentious middle class thing to say in the world. But I, I did one of those things where, you know, the sleep out thing. Right. Uh, I didn't try it like, you know, permanently, obviously. Uh, no. I mean, that'd be a hell of a story, but I didn't. And, and you know, one night, uh, and it was like a raised, uh, I can't remember, a few hundred quid with a bunch of other people, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, and I have to tell you, about halfway through it, and like, people were going to sleep in this bit in Leicester Square, like this group of middle class white people you know mostly and I remember going to sleep and I was like I'm not sleeping here like I can't I'm not going to be able to sleep here like I haven't got a pillow I'm not going to be able to so I just kind of wandered the streets for like I think it was like two till six mm. and I remember just thinking I can't believe how privileged I am that I'm just timing well, it sounds, timing. Like, sounds like you cheated to me Howard <laughs> <laughs> there were no rules about sleeping Dane you well, didn't have to normally sleep. you're static when you sleep I don't have to sleep. So I just had to be without not, a home. You're not being homeless, you're being nomadic. You're just travelling. That's not the same thing. <laughs> Go find a corner and stay in. I've got very difficult knees, you know this, and I this can't very lie true. on On concrete. Most people don't enjoy it, Howard. <laughs> they need also, something. there's the knowing that you can get out, because you can never really experience that. This you know it, yeah. that the next morning you can get up, you can go out, so you hmm. might have been out there. Also, does part of that experience, which does feel a little bit like poverty porn. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I agree, I completely agree. I, in the middle of um, doing it, I was like, this feels ridiculous. Yeah, like in the, but, but in that experience, was there a point where they said, now go and ask people for money? Because mm. I think inside a person, that must be, we always think about, is it irritating to us? Or do we have money? But how often do we think about what it takes for that person to come up to you well, and, and put themselves into that it's position? It's a good point, but it's a question of status, really, because I guess that it comes down to semantics or when it comes to asking people for money, because now you have, like, GoFundMe pages, which is not that different. You know, it's essentially the same spiel by ladies and gentlemen, sorry to disturb you, but, you know, and then you give the spiel, hoping that you can, like, entice people via their consciousness, you know, give them money. It's just that, you know, there's a real stigma to doing that when you are kind face of face-to-face and face-to-face yeah, and, face face. and I think to kind of answer the question I think that we do become more desensitized when we are in an environment for a long-term period 
I think one big part of it is due to like, I guess it's reflection. Like I feel most people don't want to engage the homeless or, you know, have to indulge the aesthetic because in all honesty, most people are what, maybe two, three paychecks for being in the same position. And, and that's what I mean. Do you, so you, do you feel it less? Cause you think, I think people feel it more. I just think they're more, so because of that, they're more inclined to be apathetic because no one wants to be confronted with the possibility of their own poverty because mm. you're not too far from it. Like I said, if it's close to home, especially with somewhere where you live, I think, you know, we do put up these very defensive walls so we don't have to acknowledge, you know, this kind of desperation of humanity. Do you, do you have a... Sorry, I know it's like asking another question when I've already asked one, but do you have like a nightmare where you... Like me as a working class person, I have this thing where I think I'm going to end up with like no teeth in like a crack flat. Like if it all yeah. goes wrong and it's my reoccurring thing of, and I don't know if that's... If you come from money that you ever have that because maybe you have a security, but I'm always like, there's, it's the no teeth scenario. I don't know why it's no teeth. That seems to be my yep. big horror. Tiffany, I am a black entertainer. That is always at the forefront of my mind. It's been... <laughs> All end tomorrow. That's the wrong thing. You step on the wrong shoe and it's like, you know, next thing you know, I am outside, I'm outside the creek asking for money and stuff and being like, you know, and, ta- and you know, it's just a downward spiral. So yeah, it's always, and then, and then, and I guess another part of that, and I think maybe another origin of the kind of apathy people have towards the poor, especially if they've been able to observe some level of social mobility mm. is, um, I guess the other issue is, um, I guess it's trying to get away from that situation as much as possible and kind of reinvent yourself. And I think a lot of time people try and, distance themselves because it's yeah I guess they feel it's very much too close to home and I think um, yeah especially because if you are yeah survivor's guilt that's an easy way of saying it kind of thing Mm. whereby you know you feel like oh because I think that's part of it for me is that one of the reasons I probably take on something like poverty or certain I guess aspects of uh, humanitarian crises is because you're kind of like well you know, not everybody had the same start or the same advantage you had. And, you know, there's a certain level of privilege I have to acknowledge. Like, even something as small as, like, you know, you can, you had two parents, so there's no excuse for you to, like, fuck up your life and blah, blah, blah. That's based on my environment. So I feel, yeah, it's a... Uh, you ain't never had to swap a stale, sales sticker onto something else. No, exactly, yeah, no. <laughs> there's certain people you look at and no. you go, you've never done that. Yeah, you've never done that, exactly. You've never shed bath water. You don't know what real life is like. <laughs> but I think <clears throat> we all have these little stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. we hold on to mm-hmm. internally we, we may never even vocalise them yeah, yeah. but these stories just go unchecked within us and every time we see something in the world that confirms that story yeah. we latch onto that and just store it back inside of us yeah. for example where we come from there are, there's just a lot of drug addicts and I remember when I was younger being really scared by these drug addicts the first time I became conscious of drugs and its effect on people we were on the bus my mum my big brother and myself and this guy was acting crazy like he just wanted to kill someone on on the bus and and everyone was doing the it's funny it's a predominantly immigrant community but everyone was doing the really English thing of just pretending it wasn't happening (laughs) (laughs) and when he finally got off my mum said to me something I'll never forget she said did you smell any alcohol on him I was like no she's like that's drugs (laughs) <laughs> that's what the married one will do <laughs> so um, but in my head that was like okay so that person has made that choice uh-huh. then that was I, I was under 10 years old at that time few years later not only is that person less than a person in my mind they're, they're an irritation in yeah. my space or a source of um, entertainment uh-huh. that's how we were with, with crackheads as we yeah. used to call them and, and it wasn't until I started seeing a young a, 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 a girl um, my age I'm, I'm 20, 
I'm 28 now. She was. That wasn't a question. She's 28 now. <laughs> we were thinking it. That's right. you. That's good. Good uh, to clear uh, up. <laughs> Sign of the times. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's all recorded. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I um, started going out with this girl, and she she seemed really streetwise, but she just had this aversion to the word crackhead, and she later revealed to me that her mum was an addict. Uh-huh. And it's funny because we have all of these other slang words for addicts. We say shoot, yeah. nitty. Yeah. We say all of these things and we don't think we're dehumanizing these people. Massively, but that yeah. realization came so much later after the stories that I've just been storing within myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah, I think, yeah, another part is a lot of rationalization in terms of like, because I think we all have it in with you is like, we are a social species. Like, why can't we help people? And, why and then, yeah, you rationalize it by being like, they've made that choice and that's why they're there and yeah, they, they wanted the drugs. And I think, yeah, that's a. Uh, I've been given to shelter uh, the homeless charity since I was 19. Before I was a, a, a media wanker, <laughs> I, was an, I was an apprentice media wanker and I was delivering parcels around Soho. Mm. Uh, and in Soho, famously, I think you'd agree, because you spend a fair bit of time for gigs and stuff, yeah. massive amount of homeless people. And I got <laughs> into, because I was just traveling the streets, walking around delivering these parcels every day, going to endless conversations with these people mm. on a daily basis. One guy used to heckle me. Uh, they used to call me Frodo. Uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings was big at the time, and he had uh, bigger <laughs> hair. Uh, bigger than this. Um, and, and what, what did you do? You just took it back? I just chatted with him and just, you know, it was fine. But it made me after a while go, I'm not giving these guys any money. I was on a very small amount. I was like, so I made a decision. I'm going to put that £5 a month to this charity. And every time I get into a conversation with one of these guys, I'm going to go, look, just so you know, I'm not giving you money, but I give money to shelter. If there's anything that's of use to you there, mm. like, you know, I hope and it helps. That's another story you tell yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly that. No, and I've done stuff. that, and only recently did I double the uh, amount. And <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, I can probably give them more. Uh, <laughs> but at least, I, I know, it's a weird one, right? Because it is the thing I tell myself for years and years. That's like the best part. It's like people that litter and they go, well, giving somebody a job. No, you're littering, you fool. <laughs> Oh, no, I think shelter charities a little bit, but, but I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But it's hard, isn't it? Because you feel like, I, at the moment, I feel like conflicted every day. Like yeah. every day I feel conflicted over everything. And one of the other times that we had one of these big sort of moments was me and my my boyfriend, now fiancé. Um, we've been together like nearly 12 years. Um, so we were, we went to New York for this trip and we'd been Christmas shopping. So we'd been in all the shops. We came out with bags, bags, bags. And it was during the polar vortex. So it was fucking freezing. Yeah. And there was a guy, homeless guy, stood on the pavement just screaming into the wind. Like screaming and crying and said that he just had his money stolen off him. And Paul's face, and also because there's so many Scottish homeless in London as well, it's a real thing for he really, I think he notices it probably Mm. more than I do, right? But he was just like overwhelmed. And then we were both overwhelmed with guilt that we'd just been and spent all this money in the shop. And there's this human in front, like crying. Mm. And he literally emptied his pockets, gave him everything. And then we just went home and we just sort of sat in the place we were staying and just sort of, spent the evening feeling low and maybe we should feel low maybe we shouldn't brush that off do you you feel like an actual education on that is essential universally from a primary level 
I, I think partially, but I mean, that would extend to every other, I think, subcategory or human tribe. I, because for me, I don't think necessarily the problem is just the, the lack of empathy, I think, because, and that's me personally feel, because I think homelessness is a uh, societal ill that I think can be remedied with like the right kind of policy. Mm. I think that's more, I think that's more of an issue that I think that would well, help. Those buildings and, that I saw, yeah. the, the storage ones, why can't you just open those up to let people sleep yeah, in them? I mean, so probably people are probably sleeping in it as well, to be honest. And yeah, but like, yeah, we value things well, over people. But or, the disjunct there is though that that's a private business mm. that is occupying that space for a specific reason. And if that reason didn't exist, those buildings wouldn't exist. Mm. So there's always going to be that point where a lot of what we see, a lot of our environment is the private sector. Yeah. And to what extent is that sector built to address our social needs? And not, But it should be. I think, so I think it's the Hippocratic Oath that has in it, is it do no harm? Yeah. Well, yeah, for doctors, but we don't, none of us follow it. They yeah, don't. yeah. Well, cos so, but, cosmetic surgeons don't. But anyway, I think so. businesses, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think businesses should maybe follow that to a, to a certain level. So if that business is opened up um, and they're making a lot of money, then surely a percentage of profits, they could go back in, have some more, like at what point is there a corporate responsibility? Mm. If you look at someone like Jeff Bezos, who has billions of pa- he must be doing more harm like like now than he you know he's taken money out of circulation so i think it is a society like you were saying it's societal mm. it's apathy and we should be talking about it in schools but there must be some big corporate responsibility somewhere where people have to put back into the system uh, i mean I've, i i yeah i think it, there should be responsibility but but these i mean these things exist in theory anyway like there's supposed to be some body of uh, regulation that you know tells corporate uh, corporations how to behave as there is with corporate responsibility is also mm-hmm. an idea you always see kind of being spoken up about but as i said because i just think it's a question of mechanics like in like in the states for example i think it's 70% of homeless people are, are veterans so you think a country that is so you know outwardly uh, supportive of their troops like that's not i, I think that's nothing to do with corporation i, I think that's more of a, more of a social issue so I, I think, yeah, um, I think to answer the question, I think we do definitely uh, tend to have empathy. And I, I think we get that privilege because it's the, because of the distance. If we, It allows us to be detached. And so it's almost like, as George said, we tell stories which kind of give us this, I suppose, this, uh, we try to derive a certain level of esteem from just even acknowledging these things. And this, is, and this kind of materializes when you watch like, people on social media and it's like you can just retweet a humanitarian crisis you're like well I've raised awareness my work is done <laughs> so so I guess it's the same principle that we kind of need yeah I think it's a lot easier as you said yeah. it was a great question thanks, thanks for the question should we, should we applaud it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> first, first ever live question Dane it's good, it was a great question went well uh, it was really good thanks Tiff I'm, I'm, I'm it's great to get instant feedback. No, it's good to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Comedians love that, don't we? Yeah. Has anyone has anyone else been to LA, by the way? Yeah. yeah. Shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> In, no, you think about to all what it is. LA listeners listening right now. Um, no, uh, they, yeah. You can say that. It's fine. You can say that. It's like you know, it's like the first time I went to Dubai, and I was like, oh, this is nice, and I don't feel like a second class citizen. And then you realize it's like thirty degrees, and you see people at a bus stop, and you're like, wait, what? Oh, no, this is. 
Uh, or so I, you see somebody in a tunic with a hard hat on on a, on a skyscraper <laughs> in 34 degree heat and you're like he's trying to work in an oven and <laughs> this is terrible and it, it makes it all very hard to enjoy I, I always describe Dubai as um, looking like a, a car park that a fairy sneezed in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like in the it's covered in glitter but it's still a car park that was built by slaves yeah yeah it's by slaves and, 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 the, and the mucus as well not on the tourist my, board my, my, my tourist. I described Dubai as a what would happen if you gave a 12 year old boy a trillion dollars to decorate his bedroom so so yeah it's, it's, it's a sh- shimmering city built on tears so we're not sponsored by LA are they big, are we? no, yeah so, so fly Emirates and, uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, um, Emirates, Emirates is actually very cool so, yeah. till you get there I'm, I'm going to do I'm going to do my question Dane it's, it's my turn of course so uh, hi Tiff uh, George hello hello Dane uh, audience hello uh, so, how are you so this is this is this is uh, this is my voice this is what my voice sounds like. Listen to the sound of my voice, right? Uh, and I talk all the time, every day. <laughs> my wife will testify, won't you? Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, I talk every day. He sure does. Am I and right, you know, Tara? <laughs> my goodness. Oh, and you know what? Do you know how many people tell me that I sound like someone? Uh, audience, can you guess who they say I sound like? Paul Merton, well done. <laughs> Constantly. I'll be in meetings and I'll be doing a big presentation like a big media wanker and then they'll be like, can I just stop you there and tell you, has anyone ever told you that you sound like Paul Merton? <laughs> they'll be like, yes, every fucking day. You've got to follow it up with, is it a dolphin in a bathtub? <laughs> Which is the Harry and Paul sketch. <laughs> but you know what? It kind of drives me mad because I, I kind of makes me hate my voice. And I didn't really hate my voice until people said that it sounded like someone else's voice. So my question to you is this. Do you hate your voice? I mean, you can hate my voice, fine, but... Okay. But do you do hate my voice? Right? I hate your voice. <laughs> so glad you said that. But do, you, do you like the sound of your own voice? Because I've become quite self-conscious because people keep saying to me, mm. you sound like Paul Merton. i got an interesting relationship with my voice. Um, when, when I was a kid... I was a singer. Then my voice started to break and I saw failure on the horizon. So I just ran and became a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. And, it's, a, um, it's a common story. <laughs> so just, you know how many out of work garage MCs are <laughs> rappers now? Just, just, just running. But um, uh, as a rapper, I, I just learned more about cadence and breathing. And I learned how to not sound like the rapper that you have in your mind. I just learned how to sound like yourself, which is how I just came to poetry. Just started adapting the rap and the style to fit my conversational rhythms. Now, see, rhythm. <laughs> but um, now, I'm, now I know how to record and make myself sound on record how I want to sound. Mm. The problem is, when I close my mouth, my voice continues and it never shuts up. <laughs> And I find that really, really irritating. And it troubles you, right? Yeah, it does. Is that, is that, is that like a particular, like when you're trying to go to sleep, you mean like internal monologue or just... Um, I, I, I think I've got a hyperactive imagination right now for the benefit of the listening audience. I'm wearing a hoodie with uh, Mickey Mouse on it and a jacket ostentatiously with Mickey Mouse also <laughs> on the back. And um, 
Which works, so don't... It's really don't, working. Believe in your source, George. Uh, but I'm really into imagination. Thank you for the compliment, by the way. But I'm really into imagination. I've got a hyperactive imagination. As I'm consuming information, all your stories, everything I'm hearing tonight, Disney World is happening in the back of my mind yeah, yeah. while I'm trying to process what you're saying in the yeah, front. Yeah. So... Um, it's nice to know, isn't it? <laughs> so this is why my podcast sounds the way it does. It's just er it's erratic and crazy. Yeah. But... Um, it's all in my voice and I find it fascinating that when I talk to you, you can hear my voice in sound waves, but when I close my mouth, I can still hear my voice even though not a sound is being made. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same for all of you with your internal voices. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about your voice, Tiff? That's, do they call that, that the, the chatter, isn't it? It's like a this constant... Yeah. I, I'm trying to explore this actually for my new show because my voice sounds the way it sounds, I talk the way I talk. But I often wonder if I talk like Joanna Lumley, <laughs> whether I'd have Joanna Lumley's life. And I find voices <laughs> fascinating. So like that, you know, like that, um, the American, oh my God, vocal fry, that kind of sound. Um, because men find it sexy when you're frying your words. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. Hashtag not all <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag never going hard again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by voices and accents and how we assume certain things about someone by the sound of their voice mm, yeah. and the regional accent. So, for example, recently, um, Alessandro Strumia, who was the Italian astrophysicist who got in trouble at CERN because he, um, he said that, that women didn't make as good physicists. Um, before you all emailing, kicking off, I'm approximating, like I'm, you know, a roundabout, right? right. Then I heard him talk, and he sounded like this, mm. Italian astrophysicist, like I want to talk about string theory and the Eisenberg uncertainty principle. No, you don't, Gino DeCampo. Like, what's happening there? <laughs> so I just assume, <laughs> I assume that this guy can't do science because he sounds like that, which is ridiculous. Um, but, I, but the great thing about being in America is, is I can invent who I want to be. Yeah. So I can be Joanna Lumley if I want to. Um, but there is, in America, they hear your voice in a different way. I was in the, I was in the South, I was in Louisiana, and whenever anybody met me, they said, oh, my God, listen to her voice. She sounds like the queen. <laughs> and I was like, I sound like a chimney sweep. Like, anyone so from the UK would know that. Uh, uh, yeah. But it's hard. I slip into other people's accents all the time. Really? Yeah. I, f I feel like I do this thing where you t in order to slide into a social scenario or situation, I, will tr I sort I of that. absorb. Hi. How's it that. going? Yeah, I'm George. George. George the poet, really. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a pro really, yeah, you a, do, that a process called matching. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It's, it's like it's a big part of rapport building that you you tend to when you're speaking to somebody for the first time. Because I used to work in a call center and have many other sales based jobs. So part of the training is what they call matching, and it's when you try and mimic the same kind of pitch and like the pace yeah. that someone talks at because it helps to build a rapport if you sound right. familiar to somebody. So this is an interesting thing and it kind of relates to some of the trouble that I had landing on a question for tonight. Mm -hmm. I always feel, going back to what we were talking about in empathy and representation, I feel like I've got the whole of my estate, mm -hmm. my community on my back in every single situation. Not in the sense that they're getting onto me and causing me stress, just in the sense that you probably haven't met many people from my walk of life, mm -hmm. just by numbers. Mm -hmm. 
And when I walk into a situation where I might be perceived as unfamiliar, I have a responsibility to all of those guys yeah. to leave whatever I imagine the right impression is. And what that usually leads to is me just making myself bland. Hi, I'm George the Poet. This is, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just loving this setting. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm comfortable with. This is exactly my usual sort of, sort of level that I... And it's not, but I'm mirroring you because yeah. I feel like it, I, I come across less um, intimidating potentially. That there's, way. there's a lot of suggestion I think that's involved in that because I was thinking because obviously it's more of a kind of oh, I forget the word but I suppose it's like more of a highbrow sometimes referred to as like the Queen's English and stuff and it goes so far so far as like imperialism whereby like if you meet someone in England and they say what do you do for a living and they say I'm an English teacher like there's a certain level of esteem and you're like okay cool it's good good job decent subject if someone says I'm an Italian teacher you're like where Italy you're like so <laughs> everyone can speak it how hard can your job be like we just there's this I teach, Fr I teach French in France. They all speak French. That's a waste of time. We just, there's a kind of, I don't know, some kind of vanity that comes with it being imperial, uh, the imperialism of England, whereby, like, yeah. That, that accent, very specifically, sorry, is just... Um, because I've done, I, I once went to a voice coach to do a, a, a Brummy accent mm -hmm. for a thing and I had to get my head around doing this. That's very and good. Um, really good. It, they were talking about class and land and how it all works. So when you hear any accent that has an upward inflection, that's why received pronunciation mm -hmm. goes down at the end because it sounds like a statement and it's never a question. So when you hear that BBC English, it always sounds very flat at the end because I'm not asking for permission. Whereas if someone from Birmingham says to you, I'm going to the shops, sounds like they're asking, can they go to the shops? Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm asking for permission. That's sure. Going for a shit now. Yeah. You know, like it's, there's, uh, and the You're same. Like, of course you would. You'd probably do it on the floor with that accent. That's <laughs> typical. <laughs> And Scouse has it as well. Scouse goes <laughs> yeah, up at the end yeah, of the yeah, sentence. So any accent that has that kind of upward lift yeah. has within it a perceived lack of intellect. Yeah. yeah. So and it's, um, it's classism. Yeah, it's class warfare. It's made, it's made yeah, me feel that I should change my voice because I'm in meetings and I'm looking at this guy and I'm going... He's gonna say that I sound like Paul Merton, <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, it kind of makes me think I should just change my voice, which will probably up. Good, know, good um, way to go. Or call Paul Merton, <laughs> pretend you're from the future. <laughs> and, uh, keep talking, keep talking. Encourage him to make a series of business deals that benefit you. <laughs> there you go. Good to oh, go. Just weird. I, I, I hate my voice. You've told me this before. Yeah, it's, it's, I love your voice, and I've only ever heard you hear you talk in your. You never change. My voice. my voice is terrible, as far as I hear it, which is again really doesn't help my profession. But because, <laughs> like you're saying before, like I thought could be able to sing and stuff, and like, but my voice didn't break until I was like 17, mm. 18, and I say break fractured because <laughs> in certain situations of surprise, my intonation and octaves will go way up, yeah. and I will go from like yeah, brother, oh my god, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> And, every, and then every time something happens I get to a point where I'm like I'm almost comfortable with it and then I juxtapose it with someone else's voice and I'm like my voice is terrible so for example when I was filming this sitcom Sunny D if you've not seen it then well I don't know why you're here naturally <laughs> but in the sitcom like one of the guest stars is Romeo from So Solid mm -hmm. who has a very distinctive voice mm -hmm. and you don't realise how distinctive it is and until I have to like talk to him on the phone <laughs> so he's like yeah Dane bro thanks for getting me involved in this project <laughs> it's like basically just like liquid saccharin down the phone anyway <laughs> so just give me the directions regarding the script and I'm like yes I'm basically 
around me. I want to be here. Yeah. I'm not trying to mock you or nothing. It's just like. And I, I mean, it's not as in, and it's not, it doesn't, but that's how it sounds to me. But like, see, I have this as well, and I had this growing up because I was um, flitting between two very different societies. Yeah, yeah. So when I'll be um, in, in my home environment, I feel like I, I would sound too intellectual. Mm. I sound too excited, and everyone at home is really good at holding a poker face yeah, yeah, and not sure. giving you any idea what they're really thinking. Yeah, I don't, I don't get happy about anything. And I'm, like, just, in the, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, so excited about why you getting, But why are you getting excited, though, bruv? <laughs> yeah, like, and everyone's really cool about it. Hey, George everything. is gassed, you know. Come That's back from what, Union now. So because of... <laughs> come, out, come out from Union at these hopes, bruv. Do you, like, do you get what I'm saying? About revision. So <laughs> yeah. because, of, because of their perception, I'm now imagining myself differently. Yeah, yeah. When... Really and truly, I feel very... Like, you guys are probably not as comfortable as I am right now because yeah, yeah. you're all trying to be uniform. But in that moment, I hit my voice. Mm. No, I totally get it. And I've, yeah, in so many... And I think it gave me such a complex, like, with my, my voice not breaking and stuff. And then, so I, first of all, I developed a mumble because I was like, if I talk at my normal, talk my normal level, people are going to realise that I still have the voice of a child and I haven't gone through puberty yet. So I started mumbling a lot and, you know, it kind of affected me to the point where when I was filming again, I had to have voice coach and they'd be like, Dane, before you begin, let's get that champagne cork. So I had to put a champagne cork in my mouth, then run over lines. Because we want your mouth to open, Dane. I know on stage it's okay, but on TV you have to project. And like, even before we'd have like table reads and stuff, they'd be like, Dane, please, the producer's coming in. We need you to project as much as possible. Now, try and talk in through your dia- diaphragm. See how that goes. But yeah, this whole real thing where like I just constantly get a complex about like how I speak, and especially like and again being in the back the background I came from, like again like having the Queen's English was very much preferred and encouraged because it will help your integration and you know project you a lot further. But um, even like now, when I record stuff or I do TV, I perform or I do any TV appearances, and people are like, oh, did you see yourself? I'm like, no. I never, like, I don't listen to, like, at some point, like, even, like early on in my career, I have to listen back to my performing, like, new material and seeing what stuff works. And for me, it's a tortuous process. Like, just to hear I sound, I'm like, you sound so stupid. How, how embarrassing. And, Do you like, listen to our podcast? Sometimes. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> that's, well, that's how bad it is. No, no, but that's, that's how bad it is. It's like, because it'll, it'll start off and I'll be like, who is talking? Oh my God, why do I sound like that? I it's... love your voice. We like Dane's voice. Yeah, I love Dane's, Dane's voice. Dane's voice. You can like see your boat by Dane's See, voice. no one is agreeing, Howard, because no, no, no. everyone knows. It sounds, it sounds so fucked. Audience, do you like Dane's voice? Yeah. yeah. Good. This is all, like a therapy session. That was great. It's all, all lies. Do you like my voice? No. <laughs> no, no, we love Paul Merton's voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I worry about it when I have kids. 
kids because like I kind of grow up hating my voice you know I'm like, I'm like developing this hatred for the way I sound and it's a bit I've got a bit of the east and you know east London, east yeah. London thing my wife does not in any way she it I mean you Dane you know she sounds like proper royalty sounds like yeah satin on silk mate satin my wife sounds like satin and, and they should speak like her right they shouldn't speak like me they don't want to be oh, little kids. kids sounding like Paul Merton wandering around. <laughs> it's um, interesting when someone who, like, I could cut any Irish and Scottish friends, and I imagine it's probably the same for Welsh as well, but, like, my um, my now fiancé, just to bring it up again. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. He'll be excited when he finds out as well. Um, <laughs> point is... <laughs> <laughs> um, he is he, I have a stepson who's like 12 now um, but his mum is from London as well and obviously my partner's Scottish and for Scottish not Irish and Welsh people hearing their kids grow up with these London Cockney accents is really disconcerting in fact my niece up in Scotland has recently um, um, my um, my in-laws were saying like she was kind of speaking with quite a London accent because she was watching Peppa Pig. Right? It's sort of freaking out. Like, that's the least of the problems, isn't it, with Peppa Pig, let's be honest. She is a little bitch. Um, but, but yeah, so it, sort of free, it sort of freaks him out to hear that kind of, you know, hello, hello, all right, all right. <laughs> coming, out of, coming out of a child when he's got a very distinct and certain Scottish Scottish accent I can't even do it now Scottish accent but my dad was Scottish he lost his accent when he came here retained his hatred for the English but he's lost <laughs> lost, the, lost the accent but it's, it's really weird for him yeah. to hear that yeah. so when you're sort of hoping your kids will have your wife's voice it's probably more shaped by like what they're going to watch on it TV it's definitely the environment because my parents have not lost their accent at all like my dad still pronounces brown as brong and <laughs> Oven is oven, and uh, no one's going to correct him. So <laughs> certainly not me. So it's going gonna, gonna to stay the same. But yeah, I've, I've always, I feel like I've always had a weird voice, and been told with instant feedback, you know, you have a really comedic voice. And I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment, but okay. But I think yeah, so. In some ways, it does lend to like, I guess, the act and stuff. But um, I feel like I've got some kind of counsel from talking about this now. Is the yeah, you shouldn't hate your voice. Your voice yeah. is fine. Yeah. Anyone out there in the audience hate their voice? Yes. Good. <laughs> I like that one yeah. person raised their hand rather than speak. Yeah. That was perfect. <laughs> Interestingly, I know, my, I know your pain. my mother just tried to call me, and I was thinking we could just get her on and we see what she sounds like. But uh, it might be unfair on my mum, really. Yeah, yeah you don't well, know. What you... And she'd be like, "Sorry, I was looking for Paul Merton." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a bit unfair. Who's, who's this? <laughs> Drag my mum into this. Did your mum have a phone voice? My mum has a phone voice. Oh, yeah, my mum. My mum calls people chaps on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to this chap in the NHS about my appointment and like, no one says that anymore mum who's I was speaking to a chap yesterday he's like what <laughs> I call my mum I call my mum every day and she has to listen to my voice on the phone every day oh, and that's why I haven't spoke to her it's going to be too late so she's not oh. going to get a call today are you Sorry, edgy mom. Well, we could call her and get her on but I think it's going to get a bit awkward for everyone else other than just me and her you can, when you she can, asks you can text her yeah, I suppose. I'll be a bit rude. Uh, text her and say you're going to call her back in a bit. Okay. And then she I'm, won't worry. Okay, good. All right. Well, Tell I you do with that some right chaps. Now. Yeah, I say, yeah, my I'll do that when everyone's not watching me uh, uh, in a bit. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on you yeah. right now. Oh, pressure. Like, all right, text, right. Ooh. Kisses? How many kisses? Uh, no, okay. Um, 
<laughs> that was my question. Thanks for um, question. answering it. Can I, can I, I have one, uh, one voice story before, yeah, before we move on to the next uh, question? Uh, you guys know Boys to Men? Mm, yes. Love boys to men. Right, so you know the guy called Michael who's had the deep voice, so every time they'd be finished harmonizing, he'd be like, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all he had to do. And do you know he left boys to men because he felt he wasn't getting the respect he deserved? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, so really? That, uh, really? They were like, they were doing an interview, they were like, yeah, he just felt like he deserved more and he was really carrying the group. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, he's like, Guys, <laughs> this can't go on any longer. <laughs> I put this group on my back and I'm having to... And they're like, Michael, don't need to shout. Come on, man. What's really wrong with you? I hope they all just went... It's worth pointing out how good their music was. They don't, I don't know if they get as much recognition. <laughs> Someone laughed there when I said Boys to Men. Let's name some Boys to Men tracks. No, absolutely. Uh, Motown Philly. That was a good one. End of the road. End of the road. End of the road. Close, uh, close your eyes. Is it close? I'll make love to you. Yeah. Yes. And uh, on bended knee. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that seasons one. Yeah. Mum one. Four seasons is a great one. Yeah. yeah. Mama is a great song for Mama is a great it, one. George well. is throwing them all out. He knows. He knows. He used to be a singer. Yeah. If you want to sing, you better know boys to men songs. Yeah. It's too hard to say goodbye. Do you remember that one? Yeah. It's so hard to say goodbye. Yeah. I was. That was in. Was that Leaf Weapon Four that was in? Yeah. Got me. I mean, gets me going just thinking about it. That was in. Yeah. That was in. Have to cut. No, did did no, everyone see Lethal Weapon 4? The one time that Danny Glover performed a murder, it was his son's friend. Yeah, exactly. You should be sorry. <laughs> right. but one time he gets a bigger gun than a 22 caliber revolver and he shoots some little black kid. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, <laughs> That's another question for another time. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for answering it, audience. Um, it's now time for George's question. Yeah. Um, okay, so I had a really heavy one and I've been battling myself up to this moment to come up with a better question than this. Um, there are no bad questions, George. It's not that it's bad. Or heavy questions that are too heavy. No, all right, cool. Let me give you guys the, the credit you deserve. I feel like everyone was ex- expecting like a question with depth, which mm. introspective from you, George. So mm, No pressure. So, so no, yeah, no pressure. So if we're being brutally honest with ourselves... Yeah, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> what scares us more between the prospect of Brexit going wrong... I don't want to talk about Brexit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just asking. And, 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 and one more young person dying on these streets. What scares us more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You say us, I guess you're talking about the... Uh, the UK as a whole or just no, or myself no personally in my, in my opinion you can't answer this yeah yeah oh. the UK as a whole you can only answer that's for myself um, and we all imagine what everyone else you know what the UK as a whole would look like mm-hmm. on this question but I don't think there is a realistic yeah that answer kind of thing because yeah. this is a question that has one of two answers right mm. should we get a raised hands from the audience would you be interested to see would you want to put it out there I, I, would we ruin the mood <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't assume yeah that people would answer that entirely honestly if they didn't if they if it made them feel uncomfortable hmm. do you get me hmm. and I don't want to put people in that position sure, sure. apart from us yeah <laughs> you asking the question in front of a camera with a microphone in my hand thanks George <laughs> <laughs> no I'm fine I'm, I'm fine to answer so, that yeah so, uh, so I, interestingly I'm not I'm not even um, you could answer this individually or yeah. you could tell me what you think the country feels mm-hmm. oh I 100% country feels uh, Brexit yeah, the, being yeah. the most important thing by a long way and that 
says a lot. Yeah. Potentially, I mean, given the, uh, I guess, perceived uh, hardships that will come with Brexit, then maybe the two are linked kind of thing. Because with more austerity or more poverty that may result from us leaving the European Union, mm. then, you know, most things like violent crime are symptoms of poverty anyway. Mm. So potentially, like, I could argue, I suppose, it would scare me more that we'd be in a position whereby, number one, uh, once Brexit takes place, I don't think that's going to put an end to what we've seen, this new rise in kind of xenophobic rhetoric and stuff, and mm. that might potentially start to turn further inward. And if you can, you know, separate yourselves from uh, Europe, then how far are we off from, like, you know, going backwards and becoming feudal again and having, like, no-go zones as the media tends to sensationalise, like, mm. when they tell the Americans, like, you can't go to Birmingham, it's now a Muslim stronghold. It really is not, but... That's, what they, you know, that's the idea they might sell. So mm. um, I would say, it's not that I'm necessarily, a, so I'd say maybe I'm uh, more afraid of Brexit. And I, and I only say that because of the fact that it seems that the uh, government is very slowly ushering in a lot of policy, which is allowing for a lot more uh, social crises mm. and allowing for, you know, you know, given the breadth of a lot more murders to kind of take place. Like, because, you know, if you're, if you're dialing back on stuff like, you know, European Union, where, where, who's going to be hit? If, uh, if, if there's a loss of revenue from like, maybe from, in, uh, from uh, trade from the, the continent, then the people most affected by violent crime are going to be affected even more because they're going to have to deal with the brunt of that. Mm. So I think maybe Brexit probably is going to have a domino effect or butterfly effect and result in more. Because I feel like even with, austerity in general like a lot of the issues that we're dealing with now like I don't think there's it's not a coincidence that you've seen like a positive correlation with the increase in austerity increase in issues with like mental health because you know I'd go so far as say you know a lot of people that may be involved in violent crime a lot more are people that are known to the police they're known by social services now if they're finding their budgets are being cut as a result of austerity which doesn't get sensationalized as much as the media or if you find that people who are dealing with issues of depression or even or some form of psychosis or any kind of propensity towards violence or mental health issues are not receiving the health care they require because mm. of austerity then there's going to be the knock-on effect whereby the average layperson is going to have to deal with that Mm. And the response that has been going on in the press the last couple of weeks, the, the violence you're talking about, what do you make of that? Um, so I've made an effort to distance myself from a lot of that noise because we're so close to it on the ground and it's so complex mm. and so long running. So uh, the, the contributing factors are so deeply entrenched in um, British society that I need my own space. Like yeah. I need a bit of breathing space from what people say about it. Because everything that gets said comes from commentators who tend not to be in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not resentful of that fact. I wouldn't wish immersion in that world mm-hmm. on anyone. Yeah. But it, it becomes circular at some point. But then at the same time, like while they're not necessarily, they don't have the first-hand experience, then... Mm-hmm. You know, it's I would argue it's their it's their policies that are you know involved in the machinations that we're seeing all of this kind of violent stuff as well. So, trickle down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, trickle <laughs> down. You know, that term comes from supposed to be a positive uh, uh, byproduct of capitalism, but it doesn't really. It never really happens. So, 
but endlessly, I think, with loads of news stories, you see this response, which is, what? Like, that's the, what? This, I don't, this is terrible. And then the next question is, why? Mm. And that why, generally, give, you know, in my opinion, when you look at how the press and the media cover stuff, is bullshit. Mm. Their why is so watered, like, watered down. Yeah. I think, mean, like, how much, how, and it's a really interesting thing. I don't know what people here think, but, like, are they going to attribute music as one of the causes to the violence that's going on because that is, I think, one of the most complex. Uh, yeah, it's it's really complicated. First of all, I think what the reason I'm so obsessed with this question. This question has been knocking about in my head for about three weeks. I've mentioned it to a few people. I keep trying to stop talking about it. I keep trying to forget it, but it keeps coming back. And what's interesting is that for some people in the country, the prospect of one more young person dying is 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 my son. It's my my little brother. You know, in some places, yeah, yeah. that's the catchment area. Yeah. So Brexit going wrong <clears throat> versus my son, my little brother. It's a different, we're, we're talking about different stakes. And I always ask micro myself. Micro and macro, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I ask myself, if you're so deeply immersed in the micro, there's one thing I realized back when I was in school. Uh, I think three to 4% of the UK population was black at the time. But 100% of me is black. Mm. So where does that leave me when 100% of my concerns, or let's say 97% of my concerns, may fall out of the relatable territory to someone who doesn't have that whole plane of experience? Mm -hmm. You feel me? And, I, and, I, and I'm at the point now where I actually don't expect people to care. I think it's asking, you, it's asking too much of people to care as much as we have to care. Because if we could have picked the things we were, the, the cards that we were dealt, mm -hmm and the things that we would be given to care about with over our lifetime, it wouldn't be this. Yeah. No one, no one saw this coming. None of our parents, when they got off those planes and they accepted those council um, dwellings, none of them foresaw 20, 30 years down the line, they'd be praying for the survival of their children at the hands of other children. And the music thing, the, the music thing's ridiculous. It's hard for anyone outside of our community to comment on it, frankly. Yeah. But... To be honest, a lot of the music doesn't help the climate of violence on the roads. It exacerbates it. A lot of these kids are just disconnected from any form of respect or care mm. or investment in any, anything outside of their immediate social group. So it doesn't really, it's nothing for them to taunt other people that, that live like just less than a mile from them about them slain friend. Their murdered friend, I'm taunting you. And no one cares about us anyway, so why would I care about you and your dead friend? Yeah, you have to, I mean, you have to, I mean, as a social species, you've got to observe empathy for you to be able to display it in the first place. So, like mm. I said, if no one cares, and like I said, most people and their uh, perspective is shaped by their environment. So, again, it's not like they're not seeing older people that have done the same thing. Mm. So, even really the fact that we are even trying to separate social ills along, I guess, lines of like age or demographic doesn't really make sense because it's not like because you know you can always hear like people involved in that life referring to their elders and stuff so mm. i think that's part of the issue now is treating it like it's a novel it's a novel uh issue yeah because yeah. we just because first reset on the whole violence is ongoing it's endemic and as well so what have you made of it here for the last few weeks i don't work because i've been away mm. so i'm presuming it's about knife crime right and the, yeah. the rise in kind of but but i i 
It's difficult. I find it interesting when the blame is we look outside and we go to music and we go to other things because that's happened since forever, yeah. right? So um, Keith Flint um, passed away. Was it yesterday? God, yeah. it feels like a week ago already. And, and Luke Perry. And Luke Perry. And Luke. Right in the formative years, both of those for me. Like really, But like someone said, Keith Flint was exactly what a rock star should be or a, a musician should be in that he frightened your parents. Yeah. and so that's always it's always going to be easier to look outside if you're not gener- the generation that's part of that music that has happened forever that has tried to kind of say is it a response to what's happening or is it the cause they yeah. had it with video nasties in the 80s right they were like yeah. more people are going to kill and murder and now we're in a society where we glorify levels of violence to like the Ted Bundy show on netflix for example right i saw a trailer for that and i have a dark fascination with stuff like that and i start reading and it's Mm. a way of i guess stopping myself being frightened but then i saw a trailer for this on netflix and what i saw was the faces flashed up of the 16 women that he killed and i was like oh they're just fodder Mm. that was that first time that i went how do those families feel that you're giving this to Ted Bundy, a serial killer, a murderer of these women. Why don't we have a documentary about what they could have done with their lives? Yeah. Why are they just fodder in this thing? And I'm part of it because I would watch it and I don't know what the answer is. And I guess that's kind of like outside as well. Like, are people comparing the two going, the what about are we going, do we need to deal with Brexit or do we need to deal with this knife crime? Is that what's happening in the media, do you think? Do you think there's a case of what's more important? What about this? What about this? What about this? Well, the second story today was that they found bombs uh, or potential bombs in three airports in the UK. That was number two. Uh, number one was knife crime, and number did, three. Does, was did, you, did you guys know that? Yeah, I just oh, some you did. <laughs> Howard, <laughs> I could have started the podcast. You're, 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 all, you're, all, you're all safe. Yeah. <laughs> you're um, all safe. But is that what you mean? Do you think they're being like? I, I don't. I don't see them as competing agendas. But I always laugh. Like coming here, I pressured myself to come up with a different question. This whole past 10 minutes we've been talking about it I feel so uncomfortable I hate that I brought it in but it's definitely part of me yeah, yeah. I, just, I, just, I just think it's very I think it's very hard to presume especially when you're being bombarded by these stories and these narratives have been going on for years I mean knife crime I mean that's that, like I said that's you're completely sensitised to that but so not to the point where like, you don't consider it tragic when it happens but you're like it's almost you've become comfortable with that existence yeah, depending on where normal. you grow up yeah it's, it's normal you're and saying that for someone who's kid that might be that's their main concern their yeah, main that's thing. everything They're that's like, bigger than Brexit Brexit, yeah. Brexit is not a thing <laughs> this is tomorrow because also none of us truly truly know what the outcomes of Brexit are yeah but they it's, know the outcome of when my kid leaves the house tonight they're going to go out they're going to meet up with friends mm. who's got knives who doesn't have knives yeah. You know, and it's in America they compare it to guns all the time because they say, you know, if everyone's got guns, then you want a gun, right? So mm. it's that. Mm. How do you even begin to change that? But that's a thing you can see directly that is scary right in front of you for yeah. your children. Um, whereas Brexit, we just we don't know what the the yeah. butterfly effect, like you say, the yeah. chaos theory. What's going to happen? And the interesting thing about Brexit is that there's a government that is accountable to it. Yeah, no one's accountable for these little dead kids. Yeah, Not no really. one, yeah, no one is no one's accountable. Not really. Like yeah. someone might go to jail for it, but the root causes that are consistent across the communities and the demographics that can be predicted, the fifty I, I saw Carlo on Channel Four News last night yeah, talking yeah. about fifty percent of most people, I think everyone incarcerated in the country 
was excluded as against yeah. about 1% of the population or the rate of people that were in care is ar around half yeah. uh, in relation to 1% of the population. So when you think about those numbers, you it's just crazy. After a while, you actually don't expect anyone to take on that level of heartache. No, I mean, but it's... I mean, again, as I said, the, the fact that you're seeing a rise in uh, the access that we have to media, as well as a rise in depression or mm. acute forms of depression, mm. I think that it's linked to, like, and I know you're like trying to kind of keep out of your mind and not have the same question again and again, but I just think we're at a, a, a phase of our society now whereby systems that we've relied upon to the point whereby we've almost allowed them to continue to run in the background mm. are now proving to be very ineffective, whether it is like in terms of like managing our own domestic economy mm. and our uh, domestic produce, even like, you know, policies regarding youth and like whether it is from criminality or even education. And I think now that some aspects of our lives are beginning to unravel at the seams, this is why people are questioning everything. And that bottom line, is that in the end, we are going to turn around and go, why is this happening? It's because of us. It's like all of us. It's all and of everything. Yeah, it's all of us. It's yeah. all of it's, everything it's all, it's that all we have everything. built. Yeah. We have built up this world. And because we invented fucking cheeseburgers. Was it nice, by the way? Lovely, good, yeah. <laughs> because we've invented cheeseburgers and Mickey Mouse jumpers and fizzy bottles of water. We somehow think that we conquered it and we mm. didn't. We fucked it apologies to everyone who just it's true no, that's a good point because we yeah, fucked it we, and now we're like oh i need to kind of rewire that thing because right. it's, it's from yeah I, yeah from the ground up this is the, and this is my point because like even you know a lot of we again we spoke about in the earlier questions about rationalizing and attaching ourselves because like we just have that vanity as human beings that we feel like we exist as the height of a uh, civilization and sophistication and also that we are you know a dominant species so when you think about like a lot of the kind of mechanics that govern our existence, a lot of them are going to get to the point where they don't necessarily work that well. Because like even when we call ourselves like a dominant species, like how can you really have a question for the audience to think about? But how can you have a dominant species where you have a ecosystem which relies on symbiosis? Like we don't do everything by ourselves. So human beings are supposed to be like the dominant species, but a but lot we of manipulate our, it to our ends, though. We do. To, yeah, we do and to an extent. Yeah, can't do that. I don't yeah. think. Well, a lot of them can't do that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, are we a dominant species? Because like, as a life form, like, we are massively dependent on penicillin. And that's an organism, it's a fungus. So mm -hmm. without it, can we really dominate? Or can we really dominate without... But, the but domination stuff? is relative, isn't it? Well, this is it, yeah. So like, for example, if, if Brexit dominates head, headlines one day, mm -hmm. um, it might benefit from the fact that there are other stories around that people don't find as interesting, so it looks like, let me read that Brexit story, which no one said ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's still relatively, so I feel like, don't, like relatively, we're, we're dominant. And I, I, just to conclude, Dana, how glad are we that George brought that question? That, that's, that, that, that is a great question. question. Amazing question. Exactly, believe Thank in yourself. You. Thank you for bringing it to our show. Thank you. Thank you. Before I do my the fourth and final question of the show which is always Dane's question cool oh, alright so uh, there's going to be a lot of preamble for this as well that kind of hurts my feelings no. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you love me that's my question <laughs> it's not I know you do no, it's like a small bladder yeah, yeah. Well, me too but I'm here so uh <laughs> 
So my question uh, is a massive preamble behind it uh, because I'm joined by Tiffany Stevenson and uh, George the Poet. Now, George was the initial catalyst for this question because uh, think about nominative determinism because you, know, you are like George the Poet, so which would pertain to your profession, right? That's what it says on the tin. That's what it says on the tin, exactly. Um, speaking of which, Tiffany, like, you know Ron Seal, that's where the phrase comes from. Do you think if it was like, Ron Seal, that's exactly what it says on the tin. Do you think people would still buy that? What if they had? If that, that was, if that was the advert for Ron Seal, Ron Seal, that's exactly what it says on the tin. If it's you, if it had, do, do no, if it's, yeah, if it's, and it's me, yeah. What? If it if it had a kiss at the end, yeah. And no, no. You can sell Marks and Spencers like, like that, that though. Flirting with me, everyone will be yeah. Well, I don't like when they anthropomorphise the like, stuff like that. Yeah, like George Clooney flirting with a donut in a commercial. Like, agreed. what the fuck's going on? What's going on with also, those M&Ms? are fucking me off. Just <laughs> which out. ones? The two of them. They're having sex and it's all sorts. Yeah, they're doing those fucks. Yeah, fucking just be eating. Oh no, it's when no. And remember the remember the Cadbury's caramel bunny? That was fucked up. People were like, yeah, she could have noticed too. Okay, the voices are right. Great question already. Oh, yeah, Jessica Rabbit. That's fucking weird. Anyway, sorry, I digressed, everyone. Um, yeah, my just question. Okay, I'm going to rephrase the question. So it's easier. Obviously, we are uh, very clearly a diverse panel aesthetically, is concerned, and obviously talking to a poet and a, an actor and a writer and comedian. So you know, we'll keep it simple as we wind it down. And just think, how do you think the landscape? of creativity has changed in let's say the last decade mm. so far as like being George the Poet from an estate to Cambridge young Ugandan man Tiffany Stevenson being working class sold the earth English rose <laughs> I think content I creation sorry <laughs> yeah, no no go on answer no no I think um, and Howard who's like this Jewish guy from East London so <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You're very special to me. I'm very happy in myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think content creation has become more democratized. Mm -hmm. That helped um, in my early creative career. And Mm. that's what I see in the generation following me. Mm -hmm. So people are able to build platforms around exactly the the zeitgeist that resonates with them, Mm -hmm. the perspective, the demographic. And if I didn't do that proactively, I would have never had a clue that that was a thing. Mm. I was just responding to the opportunities that YouTube and such presented. Mm-hmm. Cool. Tiffany? I think I, I agree with that. I think uh, there are no roots anymore. The ways in have changed. So mm-hmm. it's become more open. It's not all these sort of cabals that allow you to create art. So whether that's music or stand-up comedy or whatever, you don't have to know the right people in order to get in front of them. That's changed, uh, you know, stuff like podcasts like this have mm-hmm. opened up whole new worlds um, and the access to voices and people in their bedrooms creating music and doing all of that. The world has changed. However, the flip side of that is because of social media, everyone thinks... Everyone does have a voice, but not everyone's voice is worth fucking listening to. Um, so, you know, so it's there is... not. It, isn't. <laughs> it really isn't. It really it isn't. It really isn't. Like, I like opinions, but I like informed opinions, mm. you know, like... So then... But everyone thinks that their voice is equally as important. So with that, criticism can come, and it's like, you've got to respond to this criticism of, like, one person who you go, no, I don't have to. Uh, for, example, for example, I I posted something up on... Twitter the other day about some shoes I had on eBay Mm. and this guy had DM'd me to go 
do you have any more pairs that are dirtier? Do they have grubby footbeds? <laughs> Well, like, and he was obviously like a shoe perv, like a shoe perv. Oh. So I tweeted, and I like everyone was like, "Get yourself down, Sue Ryder, you perv!" Like, go and like, don't come looking to buy my shoes now. And so then I started getting people going, stop kink shape, like because everyone wants to have an yeah. argument with you. So this is the point, like everything you do now, it's like no, 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 don't stop kink shaming. I'm like, this isn't kink shaming. It's called a kink for a reason <laughs> that you don't say it out loud, right? Well, also, I'm not shaming. I'm not like. Also, this person's kink is that they want me to know what exactly? that they want to. Because I think I put it up going, "This guy definitely wants to wank in my shoes." Right? That was how I posted the thing. And that person's kink was tech, direct messaging unsuspecting women. Now he didn't know I was famous because it was just my eBay account, mm-hmm. and I had like these <laughs> shoes. Like, and I guess I, I was like, I've worn them once, you know. Like, I'm going to get rid of them. And 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 that was it. So his kink was going. I'm going to tell a woman that I really want a dirty shoes. Mm. I'm like, if that's your thing, fine. Go do it with someone who's mutually into that. Don't fucking message me. Your kink is unsuspecting women. Like, I want to tell you what my kink is. So so kink shaming. That was the immediate. Like everything is a shame now. Everything's got shame attached to it. It's lost all meaning. The word. Yeah. But everyone now thinks that as soon as you do a thing or you put a thing out there as an artist or as a, that they're going to come back and that what they say is equally as important as what you're putting out there i think that culture has definitely come from the explosion of the televised talent show like your x factors and your britain's got talents and your pop idols where they kind of took a format whereby you could be like a tribute band or you could be like a regionally successful uh musician or artist and you know on a larger scale wouldn't be that big of a deal but like you might have been like the biggest tribute band in like East Anglia or something and then that all migrated onto like Britain's Got Talent and then that's why you get some of the like I guess the like funnier auditions and like the kind of weirder auditions and because of that it kind of left it open whereby you had the entire public open to criticise something whereby they probably wouldn't be in that position because that person would be making their bones on a local circuit before they were in at the forefront or in front of uh, a larger or broader audience in the same way that like, you know, your grime artist might be the biggest artist on their estate, then in their borough, then it moves on kind of thing. And then once you get more stakeholders involved and obviously you get a lot more voices. And I think with the increase in these shows and with social media, this is why you now have like, everyone's always been a critic, but not been able to vocalize it as well. Mm. And it's a strange one, especially because it, it turned out that like X factor votes didn't even count. Right, yeah. Yeah, it turned out they didn't even count in the first place. So all the stuff that's gone before didn't really make a difference because they already had their agenda. I think people are more likely to, and I would love to change this, and I sort of actively encourage it. I think people are more likely, when people enjoy things, they go away going... I enjoyed that. That was good. Mm. And they'll either buy more of the product or go to another show or book to another thing, but they don't go shouting about it. People are more likely when they do, you know, is to kind of, when it's to slam stuff. So I try to, and I try to check myself as well to Mm. kind of go, if I'm going to make a joke about something, it won't be negative. I'll try and go, or I want to shit on a film or something I've seen or something that I I slam it, um, Adam Levine at the Super Bowl. You know, like if I'm going to talk (laughs) about that, like tats aren't in place of personality. But if I'm going to talk about that, like like I would try and go, oh, by the way, I love this book. (laughs) Like if I'm going to do a critique (laughs) of like, but I'll try and balance it out. And so I, I try and actively encourage, even like anyone that was here tonight, if you love this, it actually means a lot if you go out there and give your, your feedback about what you love as much as the stuff you hate. But Tiff, the, the thing, God, the thing in my head about this is just that the reason we do this, Dane, hey, the reason we do this 
it's because we really want to. Like, we hope all you guys came here tonight and anyone that listens to it and you guys who came to be on it, enjoy the thing, right? It wasn't about your acclaim and our fame from doing the thing that we like to do. Fame has kind of replaced, to me anyway, this idea of, of that's, that's, the quali- that's, the, that's how you judge success, how famous the thing is. No, what about the quality? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, because I mean, even you're using success and like, even positive connotations, I don't think those even apply anymore. What you have now is uh, you measure success yeah, well, quantitatively. So it's just how many views something gets or how many people have seen it. It doesn't really matter. There's no quality involved. And, and I guess that's because there's so much involved with like, the... Uh, digital aspect of social media and everyone having and, and everyone and everyone's narrative being democratized is that that can all be measured by like algorithms and engagements and stuff so it doesn't necessarily have to be good or but help you raised, people you raised an interesting point about those talent shows because what i realized as you talked is that that whole economy empowers audiences yeah. on an unprecedented level mm-hmm. for better or for worse that's a different discussion. Yeah. Mm. But the idea that the energy generated by, first of all, the live audience, then the viewing audience mm. at home calling in, yeah. and then all of that noise leading to an outcome that we can tangibly follow, we can visibly follow yeah. week after week, psychologically, the impression is like you at home, you have a lot of power. And then you get goggle box, and it makes yeah. even more sense. Yeah, me chilling with my girlfriend, with my family, <laughs> chatting shit. Exactly. At the TV. And everyone's like, no, and watching. everyone's like, no one's gonna watch people watch TV. That's stupid. Ah, I'm gonna, how wrong we were. I'm gonna pitch Inception goggle box. Nice. There's people watching, watching people, go- watching, watching people, people, watching people. Uh, Someone oh. pitched me cats watching television the other day. Did they? Genuinely. I put that into a script once as a joke. Yeah, no, that's that's happening. Okay. You're all sitting there, you're all sitting there laughing like it's a joke. That's not gonna happen. It's gonna happen. But, the, 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 but the, this the, is the thing, as long as there's someone that wants to make it, enjoys it as mm. much as we do in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an audience that wants to watch it, what how are we relevant to that conversation if this we is don't it. fall yeah. into even yeah. Well um, but and and we probably keep our feelings to ourselves. <laughs> I'll do my best. I, I would do my best, but I'm, 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 I'm very bad at doing that. And, uh, but, but, but I do think that is the overwhelmingly positive thing that's changed over the. Lo- that's what yeah. I mean. Like the gatekeepers, the people who yeah. would shut people out Definitely. of that before. They're kind of the power, and you, you see people still gripping onto those vestiges of power. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting to watch because, like, if I'd had privilege for that long, I'd be scared of losing it. But, you know, the people yeah. that run either, whether it's a, a television channel or a record label or something else, can feel that... Sh- There's an old saying, I think it was Confucius, was when the winds of change blow, some people build windmills and some build walls. And we all know what Donald mm. Trump wants to build. But, mm. um, but it is about whether you can move and mould with that. Steven like, Spielberg doesn't like... The fact that Netflix can get nominated for an Oscar. You heard that? No, it's interesting. Everybody, anyone here heard that? Yeah. Yeah, they're not allowed to be uh, nominated for um, so you, uh, the cat at Cannes either. You, if you make a film, as in the things they're giving awards for, and it's on Netflix, Steven Spielberg says it don't count. Because... Because he's greedy, George. That's why. He wants all the Oscars. He wants all the money and all the Oscars I to himself. It, I think it's to do with what we're saying. It's, it's, the world's changing. Like, Spielberg's world was yeah. release a film in a cinema, right? Like, yeah. and it was amazing. And we love Steven Spielberg's work. Mm. Steven, when you come on the show, uh, uh, <laughs> we're very happy to discuss this problem you've got with Netflix. It's, 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 it's to do... I know with Cannes, it's to do with it not being 
shown in a cinema. So oh, the crazy, scope, yeah. so that the, the, it not being shown on the screen. However, I have a solution for that. Netflix, if you're listening, open up your own cinemas. Mm. I would go. I would we'll love be, to we'll go. Be too and far watch off. I could definitely see that happening. Box yeah. sets. Imagine oh because that communal watching experience that you could go to a cinema and you go right. I've got three hours. I'm going to go in and watch. They're doing episode like one to six of this show. Season six. And then you, it's part of your subscribership. It's part of your membership. So you pay an extra, a couple of pounds Lovely. and you get a cinema ticket. experience. There's someone and, in the front row saying they're already doing this. I'm going to say that is an amazing idea. And by you saying it on this podcast, you give your tacit agreement for me to still say that. Thank idea. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> we that, now that's, own. That's our idea now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I, I, I don't mind splitsies. Okay. We'll go splitsies. Fine. Splitsies. We're talking about trickle down. I, I economics. can't believe how much money you just passed up on by just giving that. Yeah, no. <laughs> it is killing me. Georgie. <laughs> and Tiffany, you Fine. know. Copyright question, everything. As three men, they're going to be like, well, they must have thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it recorded? Who said that? Yeah. Is it recorded? Very easy to distort voices nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Very easy. I think it's Paul Merton. Paul Merton has come up with an amazing man. I think. I think. That, yeah, but I think. Yeah, just. Um, with the whole idea that it's, it's becoming democratised is that it's still a very uh, we're still very early in uh, understanding how social media works and how this technology is affecting our lives and having an effect on and media as well and obviously we are seeing how it can change the aesthetic and barriers to entry are lower but like with democracy then you are dealing with like mob rule so for you to be and take advantage of these low barriers to entry and being able to potentially target a uh, a demographic then I guess you leave yourself open to like you know uh, having a counter narrative or a rebuttal from don't people kink shame. Don't leave kink yourself open to that probably the name of this episode now that's a nice one it was um, another good question that's been four good questions uh, and, and I guess that's that's kind of the end of the show right that's the end of this part of the show we we now have the opportunity to get our guests to tell hello mate uh, yeah, uh, get our guests to, to tell the audience where they can find them right Dane isn't that the thing yes uh, first of all uh, another round of applause for our guests please and uh, for those uh, uh, people that aren't aware of you where can they find you guys and find out what you're up to um, I, <laughs> I was speaking of social media. I'm on it. I'm on uh, Twitter at Tiff Stevenson. I'm creeping onto Instagram, but I'm a words person rather than a pictures person. I'm trying to get my head around that Tiff Stevenson comic. So you can find me on those. I am doing um, a, a new show at the Edinburgh Fringe. So I'm previewing that at the Vault Festival this Sunday. Ooh. I'm up in Glasgow for the Comedy Festival. So if you just go onto the social media, you'll find that the new show is called Mother and the the poster is going to be me pregnant with myself. So I'll give you an idea of what you're... <laughs> it's a show where I give birth to a new idea of myself. Yeah. Wow, nice. That's so. cool. That's, that, that's piqued my interest. Take that out, everybody. Mm. That's the cool. Vault Festival's great if you've never been there. That's a great place. Right? Oh, it's so it's so cool. Like to, I didn't even know it existed till yeah. I did it for the first time, and yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, this is a cool little untapped bit of London, you know, just underneath. Under exactly. Waterloo. Under mm. Waterloo, it's cool. Which is very safe now, so. <laughs> <laughs> no go zone, no go zone. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, George the Poet, spelt normally. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening tonight, man. Appreciate that. Well, that's it, Dan. We did a first live podcast, mate. You guys are amazing. Thank you all for coming. Give yourselves a round of applause, please. Woo! <laughs>
listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste. For more from Dame, go to damebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DameBapTweets. Our guests were Tiff Stevenson and George the Poet. You can follow Tiff on Twitter at Tiff Stevenson and you can follow George on Twitter at George the Poet. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Howard Cohen. The show was recorded live at Up The Creek Comedy Club. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Subscribe to the show and please rate and review us on whichever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening. And remember, question everything. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.